This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Dwell, a podcast from the Circe Institute by homeschool moms for homeschool moms. My name is Karen Kern, and today I am here again with my co-host, Renee Mathis. Hi, Renee. Hey, Karen, it's good to see you again. Good to see you too. Um, I did just get to see you two days ago when we recorded the first of our six-part 2023 Dwell Conference. And you just did such a wonderful job. Thank you for talking about Clothed in Love for our um, theme of Knit Together. So thank you. Do you want to give everybody just a quick one sentence synopsis of what you talked about is that too hard <laughs> um let's see clothing is meaningful our world has meaning and we even talked a little bit about laundry and poetry so if yes, you weren't able yeah. to join it, i hope you can watch the recording right you can um it's not too late to sign up there are still five more talks and you can receive the recordings from each of them and so yeah go ahead if you haven't signed up and do that. And if you have, um, thank you for being with us and for listening and watching. And today on our podcast, we are going to talk about another element of classical education. So far, we've talked about um, the fact that classical education has a high view of man and it is logocentric. And today we're going to talk about pedagogy and mimetic teaching, which is actually the fourth of the third because it supports all the three, but we're a little out of order. And so this week we're talking about mimetic and next time we're together on our podcast, we're going to be talking about um, the responsibility of passing on the Western tradition and our special guest will be Matt Bianco. So we are a little bit out of order, but today we're talking about, um, particularly um, as far as pedagogy goes, about mimetic teaching. 
So um, do you want to just jump in here about why does a homeschool mother need to know um, about my medic teaching? Why does it matter to her? Great question. Um, we are fond of saying something in the Cersei world that goes like this. If you're the teacher, you are the curriculum. And that can be a little scary for homeschool moms because I remember back when I started homeschooling and we all thought that if we could just find the perfect curriculum, our job would be done for us. <clears throat> and and therefore, we were always on this quest to find the perfect curriculum. Now, when I learned that I'm the curriculum, that's a little scarier. But it's it's a good kind of scare because what it reminds me is I need to learn how to teach. And if I can learn to be a teacher, then I can use anything to teach. And then that takes a huge burden off of me to have to go out there and find the perfect curriculum. So one of the reasons why my medic teaching is beautiful is that it teaches us how to teach in the way that we were designed to learn. It goes with our nature and with the nature of our student. Another reason why my, my, medic, why my medic teaching is is beautiful and valuable is that it helps us to evaluate curriculum. Because once we learn what a good lesson is supposed to look like, we can hold up this book or this program up against that and decide if it's going to work for us or not. Or maybe we love it and we know now how to make it work for us. So it gives us, again, it is equipping us as teachers. And the other thing is, is once you learn how to learn this way and your children learn how to learn this way, um, they're going to be free as free people to learn without being, you know, handcuffed or shackled to a particular program or curriculum. So we're actually equipping this next generation to go forth and to be learners because this is just a great way to learn anything, even if you're teaching yourself. So there are a lot of really good things. But Karen, I love the way you were describing it earlier. You said, once you learn how to do this, it just gets in your bones. And I thought that was beautiful because that's exactly right. Once once it's in your bones, it's just going to come out of you because you are the curriculum. Well, well because you understand um, deeply how how anybody learns anything. And so, you know, when we were talking earlier, I used the example of learning to ride a bike or, you know, learning to make pie dough. Or I've had these conversations where people have said, oh, I'd really like to make sourdough, but I don't know how. And, you know, then I'll say, oh, well, come over and, you know, we'll do it. And so when you're learning to do something like that, you can see, actually, you can see the steps of a mimetic lesson very hands-on. And, you know, and you're reminded, oh, this is the way we learn anything according to this way that our minds process new information coming in and how and what a teacher needs to do beforehand, whether it's coming up with, oh, what is the main thing I'm going to teach here? And then how do I do this in such a way that my student will be able to take it in, receive it, ask the questions, know what questions to ask, and then how will we know that it's been learned? Right. No. Let me take a real quick minute to, if you've never heard this word mimetic before, it, it looks like the word mime or imitation, because what we're asking the student to do is to imitate a model that we're going to give them or imitate an example or just think about an example that perhaps we're going to read together. 
So it's yeah, a great and, way to learn a skill. And that's why it's so automatic to say, oh, I'd really like to make sourdough, but I really need to watch you do it. Can I come over and watch you do it? Like that's right. such a simple, clear example, you know, and it's not really any different when you're teaching a child how to do long division, you know, it's, it's watching, watching and doing. Watch me do it the first time, watch me do it the second time. Now, what did I do both times? What did you see both times? What is true about both these examples? And when they're right. the ones doing the thinking and comparing, their little brains are firing and their little minds are hard at work and they're engaged, which means they're right. going to pay attention. So is this a good time to go over the steps of a mimetic lesson, do you think? Yes. Do you want to get into, like when you teach this in the hearth or in your apprenticeship, how do you go about presenting these seven stages of a mimetic lesson? So <clears throat> as listed out, um, what a mimetic lesson would look like if you were walking through it as a teacher, stage uh-huh. one, gathering which means we're going to get our students together and we're going to remind them what they already know or maybe remind them what they need to know in order to do this lesson. Because we all know we have to be prepared if we're going to learn something. And the next stage is wondering. We want to create a need for them to know this. And it might be as simple. The wondering stage might be a question. It might be us telling them a story. Again, it might be as simple as, would you like to know how to do that? Yeah. Or you know how to do this up to this point. Would you like to know how to do a little bit more so that you can be better at it or you can do more with this thing or whatever? You're just creating a need to know. And you're showing them that, yes, there is a gap in your knowledge, but we're going to take care of that today. The next thing we do is we present them with types. We, we usually we use the word types and not so much examples, but... They're kind of interchangeable. So types are examples of the thing which we want them to grasp. And that might be two things. It might be three things. It might be two or three things over the course of several days or over a course of a week. Um, When we say mimetic lesson, it doesn't necessarily mean 55 minutes. It could mean 10 minutes. You have a younger child. It could be over the course of a semester if you have, you know, a, a class studying something really weighty. But you're giving them these types and examples to, to see and to attend to. And the next thing we're going to do is a stage called contemplation, where they are now going to think about them. And we're going to guide that thinking with some comparison questions. What did I do both times? Or what do you notice about all these examples? What is the same about all these examples? What's different? Um, we, we get to ask the same questions and the students get to think. And like I said, they're doing the work, which is restful for the teacher. It's lovely. Um, After they've had a chance to do this, we ask them to define or express the logos. Remember, we've kept it simple. There's only one main point of this lesson. And so we want our student to tell us what that is. And then we're going to give them a chance to practice it in front of us um, to make sure that they understand how to do this skill. And once they do and they understand it, we send them on their way. We confidently assure them that they now have what it takes to do whatever this thing is. And that is very restful for the student and is restful for the teacher. So everyone celebrate. You've you've just completed your first mimetic lesson. And it's so helpful if you see that there's a breakdown or a frustration anywhere, you Mm -hmm. can go back and you can assume then, oh, 
wait, maybe we weren't prepared. For example, if I was going to teach a lesson on, um, oh, direct objects, and I realized that my child didn't know what a verb was, then I couldn't tell them that direct objects takes transitive verbs, right? So like you, you're, when you see a, a glitch, you just can go back a stage or maybe go right back to the beginning and say, oh, okay, we are not prepared. Right. This. And so it really, it really helps. Or maybe we just needed more types before we go on to giving them their own, their own to do on their own. Exactly. Right. And you can always back up, try more types, ask more questions um, and, and spend t- time in contemplation, which, which can be a little uncomfortable for some students and or teachers, if you're not used to doing that. Um, if your experience with teaching is I stand up in front of the room and talk, 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 and the student takes notes and then goes home and does homework, this is going to look very different. <clears throat> but if you're a homeschooler, it's going to be very natural because it's what you do in your home. And you can sit on the couch together. You can be sitting at the dining table together, looking and comparing together and talking together. And and then, you know, you can set one student on to practicing that particular skill while you go work with another student on a different skill. Or maybe you're all reading a story together and you say, let's stop and compare these characters and see what do we notice? What is the same about each of these three sisters in this fairy tale? Or what is the same about each of these little pigs in this fairy tale? And so you're constantly doing this. And like you said, it just gets in your bones. Right. And comparing is such a powerful tool. And sometimes if we're if the goal of every lesson is to get it done, you know, let's just get this done. We don't have time to talk about this. Now, here's your paper. I've shown you how to do it. I've shown you once. Now, do it. You know, you, if you then the child misses out on that that um, mind expanding idea of comparing and enjoying how it relates to other things we've learned. You know, and right. gives and and. And the comparing, um, it triggers conversation also when they say, oh, this is just like when we did this, you know, or this story is like this. Oh, I, or, um, you know, recently I was teaching um, a writing curriculum and we were talking about a story in history and somebody immediately compared it to a Bible story. And the characters, David and Jonathan. And so we were able to stop and, you know, oh, what other stories are like that? So it might make the lesson take longer, you know, mm-hmm. and the, sometimes you might have to say, okay, we'll come back to that later because we've just spent all this time conversing, but don't ever think that that's a waste of time. Exactly. Yeah, that's always valuable. Right. And the other beauty about mimetic teaching is because we're using this to teach a skill. Um, so if you remember as a homeschool mom that there are times when it's very practical and appropriate to teach facts. There, there are some facts that we need to know. Right. Um, and then we use those facts in order to be able to do that skill. So, <clears throat> for example, you know, knowing your multiplication facts, you, you memorize them. Right. Maybe you memorize them with a song or you memorize them with flashcards or you memorize them by writing them out over and over. There are a lot of different ways you can memorize multiplication tables, but the point of memorizing them is not just to memorize them, it's to be able to use them quickly as you get into higher and higher math problems, right? So 
when I teach you how to do this skill of, let's say, factoring an algebraic equation, it's going to be easier for you to factor it out if you already know the multiplication tables and you don't have to stop and think about them. But it helps us remember that facts aren't taught in isolation. We don't teach facts just for the sake of racking up knowledge and facts. We teach them so that we can then turn out, turn around and use them and apply them in other areas. So everything's connected and it's all practical. Yeah. So, um, uh, that is how you go through a lesson with your student. But when you're preparing a lesson, what's the first thing that you start with? So we prepare it in a little bit different order. Right. That's a good question. Um, if I'm thinking about a lesson, and the, the preparation is, is four simple steps. First, I have to know my logos. What is the point of this lesson? What is the idea of this lesson? So Karen, you mentioned maybe it's, um, we are going to know how to recognize a transitive verb. So that's my logos. A transitive verb is a verb that takes an object. Okay. And then I'm going to generate types. Right. So I'm going to come up with some examples of sentences with transitive verbs that are very easy to see and easy to understand. We want our types to be very simple. And the next thing I'm going to do is figure out how I'm going to apply this. What do I want my child to be able to do? at the end of this lesson. I want him to know what a transitive verb is. Maybe I want him to identify it in a, maybe on a worksheet, or maybe I want him to create his own sentences, or maybe I want him to do both. But I've got to figure out what is the end point that I'm, that I'm working toward. And then last, I'm going to figure out how am I going to introduce this thing? Okay, so I'm, I'm talking about verbs taking objects. And so maybe I am going to come up with an introduction about, um, let's see, maybe I've got a little boy who likes to play baseball, and maybe we're going to talk about how when you throw the ball, you have to have someone at the other end to catch the ball, that the the glove, the, the ball has to end up into the glove, that the ball is aimed at the glove. And maybe I'm going to say, did you know there's a part of speech that's kind of like a baseball hitting a glove? Would you like to know what that is? And then we're right. going to talk. About and who isn't going to say yes? <laughs> right. Or you could say, you know, you could say, "Grandma baked." Well, the question is, what? <laughs> you know, everybody's going to. Don't you want to know the rest? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what did she bake? Grandma baked a pie. Direct object. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And so then it's once you kind of get this in your bones, you can teach without a curriculum. You can teach without having a book in your lap because as long as you know what the logo says and where you're trying to end up, you just have to create examples. And the neat thing is we have great examples in the Bible because this is how Jesus taught. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to, for example, read the parables when we see examples of Jesus teaching and um, one of my favorite ones for my medic teaching is the parable of the good Samaritan because his listener had a question. He had a gap in his knowledge. He needed to know something. So he presented Christ with that gap. Who is my neighbor? I don't know. How do I figure this out? And Jesus is okay. Well, let me tell you a story. And here's three examples. Here's a, a hurt. Perfect three eat up on the side of the road and here three people walked by them 
And of course, you automatically want to start comparing. Well, the first one wasn't his neighbor because of this. And the second one certainly wasn't his neighbor. But the third one was his neighbor. So what was the same and what was different? And then we draw a conclusion at the end. And Jesus drew the conclusion at the end. Go forth and love your neighbor. Yeah, it's perfect. And it shows how simple it is. It is simple. And it is, you know, something that makes a lot of sense once you start doing it. But I'll be honest, you're, if you're a homeschool mom and you're listening to this and you're thinking, I could never do this, we want to encourage you not to give up. So Karen, how would you encourage homeschool moms that are thinking, I can't teach like this? This seems too overwhelming. Well, first I would say it, it actually is very intuitive um, when you really look at it because it um it implies that well when if you look at the stages that your child your child needs to have the information that is needed to be able to learn this lesson gathered right or prepared um there has to be a question there has to be a lesson that is presented to them they have to be attending to something they they naturally compare like children children don't really even have to be told to compare like everything in nature is like something else like leaves are like bird wings and children naturally see these things and so um just giving them space a moment to think about how that's like something else and then um we one of the stage after that is defining which is having them just tell back to you what you learned. And most children, even in a classroom, when I would teach um, third graders, they were always eager, but their hands up, oh, let me tell what we just did, or let me come up to the board and, and express in words what I'm doing through this whole um, math problem or this grammar sentence, let me be the one to say what the, each part of speech is. They love that. And I people have said that this is actually harder um, in grammar school and easier in upper school, but I would say the opposite because in grammar school, in the lower ages, children love to talk and they love to be able to say what they've learned. And then um, the mastering um, it's really very simple to give them a few things to do. And it and when we're talking about younger students, it only takes a couple examples for you to know whether they've got it. If they're in left field or if they just say, I don't get it or I don't even know what we're doing, then that's your clue that either they're not ready for this or mm-hmm. you went too fast somewhere. So. So that's a long answer to say it's really actually very intuitive as a teacher watching anybody learn anything. Um, And you can practice, you can, well, you can do this without actually naming it these particular seven things, you know, because it's so intuitive, it's so natural. You can, you can name it your own things if you want to, if you want to change contemplating to the word thinking or comparing that's okay mm-hmm. um um and so yeah i i think it also it requires of the teacher just that which is necessary for teaching any lesson you can't teach anything if you don't know what you're teaching so it requires of the teacher just that which is necessary which is no 
and decide what you're going to teach and have a plan, even a simple plan. And actually, I feel like it's sometimes much easier than reading three pages in a teacher guide and figuring all the all the tricks that that they want you to assimilate and go, no, all I need to know out of this lesson is what my logos is. And then I'll take it from there. Thank you. (laughs) Like sometimes teacher guides are pages and pages to read through. And all I want to know is how to teach a transitive verb here. So the good news too, for homeschool moms is a lot of you do, and we have done in in our home too, the, you know, kind of one room schoolhouse, everyone is in the same room and that works beautifully for certain subjects. I mean, if if you're reading a story together, yes, have everyone together. If you're narrating a read aloud, start with the little one narrating first, because they can't wait to tell what they heard and, and then let it get more and more complicated as the older ones chime in. So if it's if it's an idea-based lesson kind of a thing, like if you're reading history or you're reading literature together, you know, you don't need a mimetic lesson for this. You just need a, a good conversation. But if it's a skill, it makes sense that we, we do need to teach skills in certain orders, and those do need and tend to be a little more age-dependent, right? You're not going to be yeah. teaching a six-year-old the same thing you're going to be teaching your nine-year-old. So they do require individual attention and individual lessons. And so that's when it makes sense that if you if you only have so much time to spend with this six-year-old before you need to go and talk to the nine-year-old and then change the baby and then make, make lunch, you want to use your time as best you can. And so teaching in this way is very efficient and it's very... You know, it's, it's clear cut. Um, it's skill based. You're wanting them to grasp a skill and you know when they have it or, you know, if they don't. And then you can go on to, you know, do the next thing. And, and maybe the next thing is practicing math facts with flashcards or or something. Um, so not every lesson is my medic for every child every single day. So please let that give you a little bit of peace and rest. <laughs> yeah. And and a mimetic lesson might just be five minutes long. Yes. You know, it might be just one piece of something that's much bigger. Like if you if you think about um, teaching your child long division, you're probably not going to be able to teach that all in one day and have them get it. Right. Because tomorrow they're going to forget the part about subtracting and bringing down the next number. You can count on it. Mm-hmm. So maybe today you're only going to do you know, dividing your number outside into the first two digits. And we put the num, we put the answer on top and we write, and then we subtract and that's all we're going to do. And that can be a whole mimetic lesson. Just doing that first step of a, of a complicated math problem. The mm-hmm. mimetic lesson might just be the very first thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And like I said, it teaches you how to learn because then when you get older and you want to learn something, um, I'm on the sourdough bandwagon too. And I was wanting to learn about what's the best way to rise my dough, raise, raise my dough. <laughs> that stage, when the dough is rising. Right. Um, so I can look in a cookbook and I can look at this person on Instagram and I can compare with another person on YouTube and I can see three different people and how they handle the dough rising thing. And what I noticed in all of right. them is that they all tell me that it's important that it doubles and that, you know, it's done when it's doubled. And so I really liked the one who had a container with a lid and very clear markings on the side that showed exactly when it was doubled. Uh-huh. Okay. 
That's my answer. So I've, I've seen three types. I've compared them. I've had my question answered. What's the best kind of container? And my expression of the logos is a good container is one with markings of some sort. So I can tell when it's doubled. Then I went and bought my container and now I'm all set. So yeah, very useful. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, as with anything, the more you do it, the more it becomes your own. So like, for example, when I made sourdough, I, I just made a loaf this morning and I have a particular bowl that I let rise in. And I have a very particular way of getting that risen dough into the hot pot without it falling. And it took practice to do that because the first few times I did it, the whole thing fell and didn't raise enough while it was baking. Anyway, just to say that whatever we're doing, making pie dough, you develop your own um, rhythm, your, your own. Yeah, your own rhythm. And that's over time. And you can't share that with other people. But, you know, I and I and I'll tell my daughters, you know, do do these things. But I also know that they need to make it their own. And then when they make it their own, they're going to tweak it according to their their tools that they have, you know, Mm -hmm. the way they want it. But it still has to be developed in the same under some umbrella, the same way. Right. So you own it. Yes, absolutely. And then you'll find yourself applying this when you teach Sunday school or when you take a scout troop on a hike or when you, you know, teach your daughter or your neighbor how to make bread because it, it just, it works. It's just, yeah. it's just works. Yeah. It's true. Well, let's, as we close, um, remind our listeners too, just that this idea of pedagogy supports what we're talking about in the bigger picture, which is why classical education and what are the elements of that. So if we believe in a high view of man, then we believe our children are important and that we want to teach according to their nature, according to the way God made them. So my medic teaching helps teach them in the way that they were made and the way they were made to learn. Yeah, um, We believe in a logocentric world. So we believe in a world that has meaning and it's not just meaningless. And so because things have meaning, then we want to teach in accordance with the nature of these things. And in, and in recognizing that we are teaching in a world that is governed and held together by Christ, um, we're going to learn more about our responsibility to pass down the traditions and the heritage that we have and how this is a good way to do that. And uh, we will do that next time yep. with, our, yes. with Dr. Mapianco. That will be fun. Yeah. And um, meanwhile, if you have not signed on for the Dual Conference, it's not too late. So please join us. And thank you for listening. And here's to home. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.